Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, happy Easter and welcome, and uh, we're going to do a little Easter mash-up today. So what I want to do is I want to read you a couple passages of Scripture, and then uh, hopefully over the next few minutes we're going to knit those things together into the complex and beautiful story of Easter, and somehow in that process figure out why it matters to you and I that we're celebrating this day and what it is exactly that we're celebrating. So here we go. Here's the first one, Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So I want you to hold on to that one. I want you to kind of keep it in the back of your mind while we're talking together. This second one is more obvious to the celebration and the day. It's taken from Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told the disciples this. So what I want you to be thinking about is how that stuff fits together. What that word in Isaiah has to say and what it relates to this story that we know so well. The celebration of Easter is the proclamation that he is risen. It's Resurrection Sunday. And and it's a day in which we honor the celebration of the life and the passion, uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's not a memorial. We're not celebrating something that happened a long time ago. We're celebrating why it matters to you and why it matters to me and the fact that this reality has something to do with your life and it has something to do with my life and it has something to do with what's going on right now, today, in our world and in our lives. And just to kind of get you going in the right direction, it means that we are free at last, that, that we have been set free and it matters. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the historical and the prophetic and the narrative itself. And uh, as we do that, we're going to run into this situation. And it's, a, it's an old Greek uh, device that's called Diramens Capilatio. Now, I don't know if you know what that means, but I want you to get that in the mix. We're going to weave this thing together. There's this Greek understanding, Deramins Capilatio. So I want you to think about that. While you're thinking about that, let's throw one more thing into the mix. Winston Churchill said these words, It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, but perhaps there is a key. Uh, When uh, Churchill said those words, he was talking about politics, foreign policy. In fact, specifically, he was talking about Russia and its intentions in the world. But those words have taken on a life of their own. And when I begin to think about the 
relationship of all the elements of Easter and how they fit together and the historical pieces and the prophetic pieces and the literal pieces, I start to think about this, that, that it applies in such a powerful way. Israel, uh, Easter for Israel and for us is a riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, but there is most certainly a key that matters to you and it matters for me. So hopefully by now you're wondering what this Deremens Capilatio might be and why it matters and why we're talking about it in the first place. So, so basically it's a literary device, but it also is a tool that's used in argument. And in classic Greek, it was an understanding of uh, what it literally means as separate uh, together, separate uh, together. So it means this idea where we talk about a subject and then we talk about something better and we set two things against each other. So maybe just to literally define it for you, this will help you a little bit. Uh, Deremens capellatio is a rhetorical device which consists when we introduce an argument and then one exception to it and immediately join another one after it that seems greater. By this means, the device simply helps create a balanced argument by placing two opposing qualifying points side by side. Now, by now you're saying, why do I care? <laughs> so here's how you would recognize this. The phrases and clauses that go with this device are these. Not only, but also, and then here's the one you probably know best. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. So most of us are familiar with the Derriman's Capellatio for this reason, because it's a part of uh, infomercials. So, so you've heard it used in this sense. You, you've been walking by and you've heard this thing come on, whether it's a ShamWow or a Gansu knife or whatever it is, and, and you've thought, oh, that's kind of interesting, but I don't really need that. But somehow when you hear these words, but wait, there's more. Something happens. Something affects us inside of our minds and spirits, and we're like, oh, I better give it a little bit more of a listen. And so not only are you going to get the Ginsu knife, but you're going to get the steak knives too. But wait, there's more. And then suddenly you find out that not only are you going to get the steak knives, but there's also a knife sharpener involved. But wait, there's more. And, and then you find out if you're one of the first 500 callers, you're going to double your order. And something inside of us begins to go, you know what, I don't know how I can pass up this thing. I don't know how I can leave it alone. I don't know how I can pass it by because something's going on that's very ancient in origins. You thought it was just a sales pitch, but it's actually an old device, this Derriman's Capellatio. And, and when you and I start to think about Easter... And we start in a moment to just talk about Isaiah and the historical setting and the servant's passages and the prophetic anticipation and the literal processes of the Easter story itself. I want you to have this in your mind. But wait, there's more. This is a riddle wrapped in an enigma. There's so much going on and yet we walk through the season and we hardly even slow down. And so in this Easter mashup, when we consider Easter and what it has to do with you and me and what it has to do with right now in 2021, when we jump into the depths of this narrative and we think about all of the real people and the real story who are longing for freedom, I can't think of a single phrase that fits better than this, but wait, there's more. The book of Isaiah, which we're going to use for this entire series, Free at Last, is a complex book. 
So let's talk for a minute. I, I don't think there's anything wrong on Easter Sunday morning with getting into a little biblical story in history. So the complexity of the book of Isaiah is simply uh, that when you start to think about it, you have to divide it up into three neat sections. You have to divide it up into the first 39 chapters. That's the first section, chapter 1 through 39. And then you have to divide it into the second chapters, the second section, which are chapters 40 through 55. And then you can get into the third section, which is chapters 56 through 66. Now, so complex is this book that what we understand in those first 39 chapters is that Isaiah's prophetic words are being spoken to a group of people who are in danger of some judgment and some bad things happening. And so the first 39 chapters are warnings. Uh, Israel, you need to straighten up. Speaking to both the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, you, you got to get it right. You got to get it better. You got to turn away. Buried in there is also the promise that there's a savior coming, uh, chapter 7, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, he'll be called Everlasting Father, uh, Prince of Peace, you know, all of those things are going on. When you get into the middle section now, you're advancing time. A, a number of years have passed. In fact, from the beginning of the prophecies in chapter 1 to the end of the prophecies in chapter 66, it's about a 150-year period of events unfolding. And so when you start to think about the middle sections, they are words of comfort. They are words of restoration. We've had the warnings in the first 39, now we have this comforting moment, and, and then we get finally through these comforting middle passages, uh, 40 through 55, and we get into 56 to 66, it's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's very prophetically looking forward to what's coming in the future. So because of the way it's written and because of the time frame involved, scholars debate over and over about how we got it. There's very little doubt that Isaiah wrote the first 40 chapters, the first 39 chapters, that section 1 belongs to the original Isaiah that we meet in chapter 6 with his calling. But then, we're not sure. Did, did Isaiah then prophetically write the second section? Did he prophetically then look forward into the third section? There are certainly scholars who believe so. There are others who say that, that Isaiah's followers took his early writings, and as the world unfolded, they continued to write and work in that prophetic vein. There are others that say we don't have one Isaiah, but we have two. Uh, some say we don't have two, we have three. And one of them, each of them has written prophetically under the name Isaiah. So if you ever come across these words in a commentary, you know, Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, Trito-Isaiah, then you're, you're dealing with that wrestling match of how these distinct sections of these time frames got met. And so out of this complex story is woven these two things that are happening. There is the narrative of what's going on to Israel. Israel has been in exile. They've been broken. Their hearts are broken. Their world is broken. Their country is broken. Uh, everything has been taken away from them. And, and, and out of that narrative then comes this imagery. And the imagery is God is going to take care of you. God is going to restore you. God's going to bring you back. He's going to speak comfort to you. He's going to, he's going to allow you to rise. He's going to allow you to be healed. And so we follow this narrative now. It's happening to real people in real time. It, it, it's a vivid imagery of real life. And then woven into that are what we have come to know as the servant songs. These are these prophetic moments in which then Isaiah realizes that not only is God speaking to this moment, 
Not only is he speaking to these people, not only is he speaking to these circumstances, but he's speaking to everyone else too. Not only is he going to take care of Israel, wait, there's more. He's also going to take care of providing a Savior who can heal the brokenhearted, who can allow folks to to come back from their brokenness and back from their exile and to experience the power of genuine freedom. So he also writes to every single human who will ever walk on the surface of this planet. He's writing to every single person who ever feels imprisoned are lost, are in darkness, are overwhelmed, are weighted down, are uncertain. People who feel like they're misfits in the world and misfits in the culture and misfits in the church and misfits everywhere they go. He's writing to those people. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, but there's a key. So the story of Israel uh, ignoring the the the, the warnings of God and the laws of God and and what happens to them and throwing off the restraint that they consider to be the laws of God. Maybe what Hegel said about history, what we learn from history is that we do not learn from history. It's true in our culture. We've sort of thrown off all that restraint, but it's also true in our individual lives. Sometimes we feel like God's ways are just outdated. They just don't apply too much. So let me ask you this. Do you feel imprisoned today? I mean, over the last year, uh, most of us have felt a little claustrophobic. We felt a little bit like we've been trapped in our own homes. And, and, and I don't know. I know there's a group of people out there that probably, because uh, you've been allowed and encouraged to stay home, it's been great. You've loved that. That's been a great thing. Others of us feel like we, we want things to get back to normal in some way. But more importantly, does your spirit feel imprisoned? Do you feel truly free? As we gather on this Easter Sunday to celebrate the risen Christ, does it feel like it has anything to do with you? Does that story touch the places where you might feel stuck or dead or trapped or exiled or alone or uncertain? Isaiah is writing to people like that to people in the real world who are, who are suffering from literal imprisonment. But he's writing much, much more as well. For Isaiah's followers, uh, as they anticipate the coming of what is ahead of them, I want you to listen to these powerful words and the prophetic nature of them, and then I want to just celebrate them for a moment. Isaiah 53, one of the great servant passages. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers was silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor had any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the, the will of the Lord will prosper in the land after he suffers. He will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. To a people who had lost their way and lost their country and lost their hope and decided that, that God was unavailable to them, and that, it, that this religious commitment didn't matter anymore, and that the old teachings were intolerable and irrelevant. In, into that situation, I, Isaiah begins to speak this hope of life. You can almost feel the weight of it. After 39 verses of condemnation and judgment and warning and asking people and begging people and, and, and calling people back to this righteous way of life, it's almost like God throws up his hands and said, all right, that's enough of that. Let's put away all of that stuff, and now let's talk about the promises. Let's talk about what it means to comfort my people. And we open with this new part, this new understanding. But there's more. Let's stop all the warnings and let's move to the promises. I'll fix Israel. I'll set this broken nation and hurting people free to rise. But there's more. I'll fix much more than that. I will send a Savior that will address the root of the problem. I won't just clean up Israel's mess. I'll clean up everybody's mess. Every person alive now, every person who will ever live, I'll send a Savior that will heal what's broken inside of people. I will heal what's broken inside of humanity and the culture, and I will set people free at last. I will allow people to rise. But wait, there's more. I won't just fix this time and this plight, this time and this place and these people, but, but all people who will ever walk on the planet in the first century that's coming, in the second century, in the 10th century, in the 21st century, I'll continue to be the power through which the reality of the kingdom of God with its righteousness and its justice and its equality and its fairness, comes to life in real people, in real time, in real ways. I'll set free the generations to rise. But wait, there's more. Someday, I'll make a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be no more sorrow, and there'll be no more sickness, and there'll be no more anxiety, and no more heartache, and there'll be no more disappointment, and by the way, there'll be no more death. And I'm going to set not only generations free, but I'm going to set all humanity free. People will be free to rise. But wait, there's more. When people hear this, when they see it unfold, when they begin to experience the prophetic fulfillment of the words that I have spoken, they will recognize that it is cosmic. 
they will recognize that it is powerful and eternal and that it is rooted in creation, that it is somehow wound into the world's foundation, and they will build their calendars and their world and their celebrations celebrations around the birth and the passion and the resurrection of this Savior. And so many of them will never even understand the underwiring and how this story is woven into the very fabric of humanity, but it will be. And it will be a message that God intends people to be free. That he intends you and I and the people we live with in this journey on this planet to be free. To be set free from our circumstances and our brokenness. To experience real life and to experience it in abundance. This reality is a riddle. Wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. But there is a key. So when you stop and you think about this, I, I, this is, I'm going to nerd out for just a minute. When I think about the book of Isaiah, one of the most profound things about the book of Isaiah is that the oldest copy we have of the book of Isaiah, which was discovered in the 1940s as a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, is dated to the late part of the first century B.C., so, so I just want you to know that, that the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah predates the story of Christ by 100 years. That the copy picked up out of that jar in the Dead Sea uh, in the little village of Qumran that had been handwritten by the Essenes, that, that nobody had unrolled that copy since about 100 BCE. And that they unrolled the words a hundred years before the birth of Christ, and they read the words that I just read to you. When you compare those copies of the book of Isaiah to the copies we have today, they're the same words. And all that means to me is that nobody edited these words to fit the story of Christ. These prophetic words in our own modern dating and systems and, and culture say, nope, what was written that we have copies of was far ahead of what unfolded. It can't just be human circumstance. It can't just be a story we're making up in our heads. The powerful enigma of Isaiah and his teaching and his words are wrapped up into a promise for you and a promise for me. I want to go back. I want you to hear these words again. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness to the prisoners. Now, I want you, while you're thinking about that, to recognize this because this is the key. In Luke, we are told this story, chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll... And he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I just want you to get, I'm sure that the disciples didn't understand all the implication and all the history and all the theology and all the layers and all the derriman's capellatio. I'm, I'm sure they didn't understand, but wait, there's more in that moment. But there is this truth of meaning and purpose that is cosmic and profound and divine and it touches the foundations of creation and it underwrites the fabric of the world and it matters to you and it matters to me today because you and I are the recipients of a freedom because of the grace and sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be free at last and to be free to rise. So let me just ask you some questions. When Jesus rose from the grave, he was bringing good news. And we can all use some good news. He was binding up the brokenhearted. Can I ask you, in what way are you brokenhearted? I I just believe so many of us are suffering from broken hearts about so many things. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, but there's more. He was proclaiming freedom for the captives. Where are you trapped? Where do you feel captive in your life? Is it failure? Negativity? Weakness? Anxiety? Habits? Attitudes? Hurts? Is it the past? Is it trauma? Is it the future? What exactly holds you captive? Because Easter's about that. But there's more. He was releasing from darkness the prisoners. In what kind of darkness do you find yourself? In what kind of darkness do you find those with whom you're sharing the journey? There's a lot of darkness in our culture and in our world. There's a lot of hopelessness, and it's invaded the church. It's invaded into every little stream and avenue of human beings. But he came to set free the prison, those imprisoned. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to release from darkness the prisoners. But there's more. The story was rooted in very real earthly lives who were suffering on this planet. But it transcended every one of those individual stories to embrace all of humanity. You and me. And the whole thing is built around this idea. You and I are free to rise. To rise above our fear, to rise above our failure, to rise above our own circumstances, to rise above our own stories, to rise above our own past, to rise above our own weaknesses, to rise above our own sin, to rise above our own doubt, to rise above our own worry, to rise above our own anger, to rise above our own depression, our own loneliness, our own resentment. Those folks had all of that going on in the depths of their heart and mind. Listen once again. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. But wait, 
there's more. You and I, because of this truth, are free to rise as well. We're going to close this Easter Sunday celebration by participating together around the Lord's table. And so I just want to encourage you to gather your elements. And I just want to ask you, maybe somehow in the, the, the crazy world we live in and in all the things that go on with you and I, we, we don't fully appreciate or understand why Easter is so vital and why it's so important, why it matters so much. And I just want you to take a deep breath and I want you to think about the implications of people who were broken and everything had been taken from them. They'd lost their country and they'd lost their comfort and they'd lost their freedom and they had, they, they had decided that God didn't care about them and he didn't like them. And we're going to dive into this conversation with Isaiah and the people, you know, and how they just don't believe God cares about them anymore. And we're going to spend time in that middle section as he begins to speak those great words of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. The time of suffering is over. And he ties that in with this moment of Easter. He weaves and knits together that story into this moment of resurrection. And if you can't connect the dots, Jesus takes the, the, the scroll of Isaiah and said, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. This is happening right now with me. It didn't just happen a long time ago. This is what it's about. It's about setting you free. What in your life needs to be free? What in your life do you need to let go of? What in your life do you need to feel like you could be free to rise? What's holding you back? What's holding you down? What keeps you captive? What holds you in darkness? That's what this is about. That's what this day celebrates. Christ is risen. And you can rise too. Because of that, you are free. He's busy setting you free. Let him. Let him. That's what this moment represents. It represents that I'm humbly coming. I'm inviting you into the core of my life. I don't know how to set myself free. I don't know how to fix it all. I don't have to understand it. I have to open my heart. Confess my weakness, my sin, my shortcomings, my fear, my failure, my attitude, my negativity. I need to confess it. And then I just want to ask you to give me real nourishment for my soul that you come in and fill me and change me and transform me and you begin to break the chains that bind me inside and set me truly free pray with me as we prepare for this table God thank you thank you for this Easter story thank you for the hope of freedom for the hope that we could rise for the hope that we don't have to be encumbered by the circumstances going on around us. For the reality that whatever is going on in the very real individual lives, they were going on back then too. And you just didn't give us a bunch of spiritual things to think about. You took us to an exiled people, a broken people, people who had lost everything. They had lost their country. They had become captive. And you said, look, I'm going to set them free. And if I can set them free, I'm going to set you free too. I'm going to deliver you out of your darkness and out of your captivity and out of the chains that bind you and the attitudes that bind you and the fear that binds you. I'm going to set you free to rise. And I pray right now as we gather around this table as the body of Christ and this Montrose Church family and all our extended friends and family who are joining us on this Sunday, 
Lord, we want to take this moment and we just want to say out loud, this is holding me back. This is binding me up. This is crushing the life out of my life. I I feel like you don't even see me anymore. I feel like you don't hear me anymore. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like everything about your word is warnings and warnings and warnings. And I need to turn this page and get into that next chapter that's about comfort and restoration and setting me free. And so in preparation for this table, we confess to you our sins. Remind us that the kingdom of God is the source of real justice. It's the source of real equality. It's the the source of true love. It's the source of the healing power of the universe. We lay our needs at your feet. Please be present in every life. Please watch over, protect. Would you set some people free this morning in this moment as we celebrate this day? We prepare our hearts for this table and we dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat and remembrance that Christ died for you and be free. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful and be free. And now, God, would you just continue to do that work in us? Not just on this Easter celebration, but throughout this Easter season, as we search your word, as we walk together this path of freedom, as we celebrate the words of Isaiah and how they speak into the very specific areas of our lives, I pray today that this Easter message, that the story would somehow come to life and that through this day and across tables as we celebrate together, you would allow a great freedom. Freedom for families to rise, for hearts to rise, for hope to rise, that you would set us free and that you would remind us of this great celebration as we embrace the truth and the power of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen and amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here at this Easter celebration. Please go now, enjoy your family, be thankful, keep in mind this great celebration and what it means. God bless you. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.